Hey everyone, this is Sam with Paranormal Reviews, and we're back up with The Holter Files. I really enjoyed The Holter Files um, when I saw the first episode, so I'm back for the second episode. Um, the second episode that they aired uh, as Season 1, Episode 2, was on October 10th of 2019. Now, in my God though on my TV, it said it was episode 6, so I'm not sure if they shot it as episode 6, or if it is really episode 2, so if you are looking for this on, say, YouTube, or on Travel Channel, or something like that, you may want to look up the air date, like I said, that's October 10th of 2019, or you may have to look it up by the title, which is They Buried Me Alive. And it's the uh, Morris Jamel man in New York City. And I was a little intrigued by this because I vaguely remember Ghost Adventures going there. Um, they had a episode there, and I need to look it up. I um, may have to do that, kind of look it up, and maybe watch it here fairly soon and maybe review it. Uh, because after this episode, I am kind of interested in it. Well, I have to go ahead and admit to you guys, I really like Holter Files. Um... I enjoy it. I think it is a very in show. Um, I'm going to tell you why throughout this review. But I want you to also know that I'm a skeptic. Um, I go at Paranormal Review as, if this is your first time listening, this is uh, something that I don't know whether I believe in or not, so I'm kind of looking at these paranormal TV shows or these sites or whatever um, as a l entertainment, um, kind of as a take-it-as-you-may type um, episode or anything like that. So if you're a true believer, please do not get real mad at me or anything like that. I'm just pointing out things. Um, I love it that when we did uh, Destination Fear, um, the first episode, uh, we need to go back and do the second episode of Destination Fear. I actually posted it and, you know, tweeted it at Dakota Layden and his sister Chelsea Layden. And Dakota actually wrote me back on one of the things that I said in the episode. So you guys feel free to hit me up on Twitter, uh, hit me up on um, email. Uh, we are at Paranormal Review Pod, and that's singular at gmail.com. Uh, Paranormal Review Pod at gmail.com. And then, like I said, we're under Paranormal Review at um, on Twitter. Feel free to. Um, you know, shoot me any questions, comments, problems, protests that that you have. And so, 
how we do Paranormal Review is we kind of do our own research. We, we of course, watch the show. Um, I try to gather anything that I can that may, I don't know, not so much disprove the show, but I'm looking for, you know, did this really happen? Did this uh, really kind of add up? I'm also questioning things that they may have done and um, that they are uh, trying out or whatever, but they didn't have time to actually put in the episode. Um, A lot of people have wrote us and said, oh, you know, they did do that, but uh, they didn't get any evidence or we didn't have time to show it. Uh, Maybe we'll put it in a review show or something like that. So just, you know, want to be aware. So I kind of want to take you through a little bit of the history of the Morris Jamel Mansion. It is very well known in New York City. It's a national historic place and landmark. Um, It is also a New York City landmark. It is on a lot of tours that you take. It was built in 1765 by Roger and Mary Morris. And when the American Revolution happened, it was actually a headquarters for both sides. They actually mentioned that in the show, and, and I'll get to it in a little bit. But uh, George Washington was actually in this mansion, and it was one of his headquarters. Stephen Jamel actually bought it in 1810. He was a French immigrant, and he was married to Eliza, and they lived in his house, um, or in this house. We will talk about his death when we're, we're talking more about the show, but after his death, Eliza actually married Aaron Burr. Now, some of you may be saying, Aaron Burr, I I slightly remember that name. I think I remember that name. Well, you probably do. You probably have heard about it in history class. I didn't realize that Eliza Jamel actually married Aaron Burr and that he lived in this house after Stephen's death. Aaron Burr, uh, later, he is famous for the duel with Alexander Hamilton where uh, they they fought to the death. He also was part of being a member of the Blennerhassett Island Conspiracy, where Aaron Burr and some of his friends got together uh, on uh, Blennerhassett Island in West Virginia and met and were going to overthrow the government and take over and and that Aaron Burr was actually going to become ruler of the United States. He was also um, one of our vice presidents. So after Eliza, or excuse me, after Stephen's death, Eliza became a very, very wealthy woman and married Aaron Burr. But they were only married for about two two and a half years before she actually filed for divorce in 1834. 
Now, it wasn't granted to 1836, but from the articles that I could find and everything, it looks like Aaron Burr actually moved out of that mansion in 1834. So, he actually was only in this mansion maybe two and a half years. He's not mentioned at all in this episode of Holterfrouth, which I find um, a little unusual, as famous as he was. Now, Eliza Jamel obviously kept the mansion in her family, but um, she moved out of it and lived between Saratoga, New York, and would move down to Hoboken, New Jersey, and kind of move back and forth from everything I could find. Her she at some time moved back into the mansion and her stepdaughter's family actually started living with her until 1862 and she didn't die until 1865 so you know she pretty much lived um like i said she came over with stephen um from france and they bought the house in 1810 and she lived in it on and off until 1865. They said that in her later years that she became very eccentric, and they think that possibly she might have been a little insane. Now, the next thing that I could kind of dig up was in 1882, the Jamal heirs broke up 115 acres, and they made them into 1,058 different lots, and some of them were sold off. Um, They were actually, some of them, of the lots were uh, sold to just normal, normal people. The city also bought some of the lots, and row houses were built on them. Um, There is still a Jamel um, housing kind of district in the area, and um, New York City decided they wanted to actually take over and purchase the mansion in 1903. And then they created a museum out of the mansion in 18, or excuse me, 1904. Then it was decided that the house needed to be renovated and refurbished in 1945. So that that's the history up until when Holzer Files kind of comes in and talks about the start of Hans Holter uh, being involved in the Morris Jamel mansion and everything. He His first visit, I believe, was in 1964. So, this house that was built in 1765 basically had 200 years of history before Hans Holter um, actually walked onto the scene. He 
from what I understand, investigated this mansion twice. And as we find out different things in the episode, things make sense and some things don't. So that's kind of where we're going to start. Um, Hans Holter had a seance at the Morris Jamel mansion in 1964. As we learned in the first episode of Holter Files, he used Ethel Myers as his medium. And the episode starts off with Ethel um, having Stephen Jamel communicate through her. We see Gabe Roth, who is the researcher for Holzer Files, and Alexandria Holzer and Dave Schrader sitting around the table, kind of going over the history. Now, they do not do it as detailed as I did. They don't go into, you know, the Morrises. They don't, they don't really get into that. Their main focus is with Elias, or Eliza Jamel. Um, as I've stated in other paranormal reviews, I kind of wish that when they did some kind of investigation of a location, that all paranormal TV teams or any paranormal teams out there that are actually doing this, that they kind of keep their focus broad. Um, yes, I know when the police go on an investigation, a lot of times they do some research and kind of think who they're going to target, but they also keep their investigation broad to go other places. And that is one thing that I do like about Holterfiles. I get the feeling that that's how Dave Schrader wants to kind of approach it, just from episode one, because episode one took a turn that I don't think anyone really was expecting. Uh, they go over and say that supposedly Stephen Jamel was killed by his wife, Eliza, and that it's one of Hans Holter's uh, most famous cases that um, Hans believes that after this, Stephen's spirit moved on from the mansion, and there have been no accounts of him since 1964. Um, like I said, the um, museum became, or excuse me, the mansion became a museum in 1904. So they tell a story of how a teacher and her students were standing outside and they saw a woman appear on the balcony and she come out to uh, basically shush them. And then they discovered when they finally got into the mansion to take their tour that no one was there. Uh, the students were looking around on the tour and they found a portrait of the lady that they saw uh, up in the balcony and her portrait was in the foyer and they pointed that out to their tour guide and she said well that's Eliza Jamel and she's been dead for, for several years now now the thing is the Holzer files the researcher, like I said, is Gabe Roth. He doesn't say when that story actually 
you know, takes place. So I'm wondering if that's an urban legend or if that's, you know, been handed down throughout the years. They've kind of misplaced who this teacher was, who her class was, whatever, whatever's going on. I couldn't find it in any kind of research or anything. But, um, like I said, Hans Holzer, um, he conducts a seance with Ethel Myers in 1964. She um, channels Stephen Jamel, and then she also channels Eliza Jamel. And they kind of show you some clips of the audio from these seances. And Hans um, feels like he was very successful in, you know, telling Stephen what happened and kind of getting him to go. Um, whether that is, whether you want to believe that he went to the other side or where he left or went to, we don't know. And they don't, you know, really go into that a lot. However, after... Hans and Ethel get Stephen to go. They channel Eliza, and he also, during the same seance, kind of tells her to go, too. And Eliza is basically a little hardcore. She's like, um, no, not, not, uh, moving on. I'm staying here, this is my house, and I am... You know, I'm hanging out here. I, I really enjoy this mansion. And I don't blame her. You know, if I had lived in a house for, I don't know, 55 years, I would probably be very attached to it, too. Especially at that time, uh, they call it a mansion. I read some of the reviews on TripAdvisor, and you, you guys can go on TripAdvisor's site and, you know, type in Morris Jamel Mansion, and all of those reviews will pop up. Some of the later reviews um, from the summer of 2019 on talk about how the mansion seems to go kind of downhill um they talk about it not being upkept uh really well and that some of the pain is peeling and things like that you don't really see that on the holter files i thought um that it it was a mansion for that day and time that they are you know kind of recreating it but um is it you know j-lo's mansion now no no it's not you know humongous or anything like that but it is a or appears to be a rather you know stately kind of of house so Gabe also tells Dave and Alexandra that the staff of the museum says that it keeps growing more and more negative and it appears that things are kind of getting shaken up. So Alexandria says, well, we could be kind of getting into something dark and it kind of seems like it jazzes Dave up, and he's ready to go. Of course, um, 
the thing that I like is Dave actually does a case log day by day by day and it's time stamped tells you you know day one day two day three day four and so he does his first uh, case log which is day one and he says that the director just met them gave them the keys to the mansion for the night and that he's gonna meet his two buddies for the night in order to do like a baseline reading so this is where we pick up with cindy carza and shane Pittman, who we met in the first episode uh cindy is a psychic medium and i was really fascinated by her not only during episode one but also in episode two now I'm just going to be very honest, I have never met a medium as far as I know. I've never met a psychic medium as far as I know. But the way she conducts herself and the way that she gives information and evidence, if there isn't some tweaking going on by the crew or something like that, if everything they show on this episode is you know, fact, which we don't know. It's television, it's entertainment. But I would love to meet um, Cindy. I would love to sit down and have a lunch with her. I would love to uh, go on a tour with her. Um, not sure about a paranormal investigation, uh, as we're going to get to in this episode, too. Uh, she makes me a little scared, but I just find her fascinating with what um, the powers that she per portrays, that she says that she has. Like I said, I know that some of you don't believe in mediums, and some of you do. Um, I am on the fence. Like I said, I've, I've never met one or anything like that. So I am totally interested in this after seeing uh, Cindy work. Shane... I love Shane. Uh, no offense, Dave, if you're listening to this, but I'll tell you what, um, Shane may be my favorite because he kind of reminds me of myself as far as I think Shane wants to be big and bad and there's still some stuff that, that can get to him and that is definitely me. I am, you know, I, I sit here on this podcast and, and want you to, to think that I'm big and bad, but I am really a big old chicken, and uh, we're going to get to it, but I would have shamed uh, way before he did. But anyway, um, they go in to investigate Hans's, you know, kind of 60-year-old, why? Stephen left, but Eliza just kind of hangs out. And and what is she doing? It, is she really haunting the mansion, or is she protecting it? What is she doing? So we see them walk up to the mansion, and Dave, we hear his voice um, in a voiceover saying that he didn't tell Cindy or Shane anything about this place so that kind of leads me to a couple questions as far as 
It's my understanding that Cindy has been dealing with paranormal investigations for a while now. And so, Dave recognized this case. Um, you know, when Gabe, well, the researcher, was explaining it to Dave, he immediately recognized this. And, of course, Alexandra, Hans's daughter, says it's one of his most famous cases. So I immediately am like, is Cindy not recognizing this case? If it is the most one of the most famous of his cases, and Cindy's been in paranormal, has she not read about this? Did, you know, when she started getting readings, or feelings, or visions, did she not remember this? And Shane, I don't know a lot about his background, but did he recognize this case? Um, like I said, this mansion is fairly known and kind of famous in New York City. Um, even me, you know, a little old podcaster, I recognized it, or at least thought I had heard of the name, from Ghost Adventures. So maybe Dave didn't give them the name. I I don't know, but they obviously know that they're in New York City, they're in the park, so I, that that's kind of my first question, is did they know anything about this? So it starts off, um, I wish they would have shown us a little bit of the setup, but it starts off with Dave is in the basement. He has set up base camp down there with TV screens and monitors that can monitor the cameras that the crew has set up. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I think this episode is shot way better than the first episode was. Um, they have different camera types. They have different camera angles. Um... All of that is already set up, whereas in episode one, they kind of did a walkthrough, kind of talked about that and everything. So, um, this one seems like they maybe have been around each other a little more. The crew is familiar with them and how they work, how they want to work. And so, this one seems like it is a little bit, you know, better shot and so, a little bit, so that leads me again, is this episode two, or is this episode six, like my TV screen said. But anyway, um, it timestamps Shane with Sydney at 12.15 uh, a.m., and they're just getting the baseline. When Cindy comes walking in the door, um, she feels like a woman is hanging out there all the time, and she keeps saying to Cindy, you can't make me leave. This is my house. Um, and then she tells uh, Cindy that my husband tried to take me with him, but I, I wouldn't go. And then Cindy says, I'm being pulled kind of upstairs. So 
like I said, this is where I become fascinated with uh, Cindy because she starts talking about how she thinks a maid lives here too and that people see her. She also walks into one room, uh, states that um, the maid may have been hung, um, that she can see documents around, and then she also talks about seeing white candles being lit and feathers being used. And so she says, did they ever accuse a maid of coming in here and doing conjuring spells or spellcraft, not witchcraft? And Dave said, hey, we have no records of that. And Cindy says, well, that's really weird. And then she walks around and says, you know, there's so many layers to this house. And um, they, her and Shane, start hearing kind of footsteps. And then it flashes to Dave in the basement, and he hears a cough, and he immediately goes up to kind of investigate, to kind of see what's going on. He asks the producer that's down there with him, did he hear anything? And he answers, well, yes, I, I thought I heard a snort, but um, wasn't, you know, really sure. So let's kind of stop here. This is, you know, the first commercial break. And like I said, I'm I'm fascinated with Cindy because she has picked up things that I have picked up in research. Like I said, when I read several articles uh, about the Morris Jamel mansion, um, several articles mentioned that um, there were hauntings there and that people had seen a maid that um, possibly this uh, maid had had some issues and, and things like that. So I was a little surprised that Dave wasn't informed of that. If this little podcaster can Google some stuff and find more information than Gabe did, which is their researcher, then I need to show Gabe how to Google. Because, like I said, um, I pulled up a couple different articles that that mentioned this maid. It also, of course, mentioned several layers. Anytime that you're you're doing research into this house, obviously, you know you have it that the Morses built this house and it was used in the American Revolution. Of course, there's going to be documents around. Both sides of the American Revolution used it as a headquarters. So there's going to be a lot of documents around. Um, like I said, the stories of the maid, uh, the Jamels 
being there and then um, Eliza having Aaron Burr in there and his family and having her stepdaughter's family live there and then you know the air splitting it up and then of course the museum has been there since 1904 and there have been you know probably millions of tourists in there taking tours and school children visiting it's gonna have several layers um so all of this makes sense but not really seeing anything here and um it leads me to wonder did gabe give dave schrader full research did he give him a full story and they just didn't have time to show it did you know him he tell him everything that i told you in the beginning as a listener and they just couldn't show it all so they tried to pare it down to the most interesting facts and dave has more knowledge in his head than what they've actually shown us so that's my first thing being a skeptic Dave's the leader of this investigation. Are they truly showing us everything he gets from Gabe? And is he taking the knowledge and the information that we didn't see and using it to somehow lead or guide or push Shane or uh, Sydney to actually go the way he wants them to go is dave leading them down this path or is it a broad investigation where they are trying to kind of find out things so dave does a day two of his case log and he talks about how he felt really unwelcomed he sits down and interviews the director of the museum who is christopher and dave says you know hans come there twice and he believes that there were centuries and centuries of hauntings well yeah, because Hans didn't get there until 1964. Well, the house was built in 1765. Like I said, there's been 200 years of history going on in this mansion. And so, if a lot of the things that were said were true um, about an abnormal amount of death, you know, kind of being around this mansion... And if everything that everyone in paranormal says is true, that when death happens, that, you know, a spirit can be left behind, of course, there's going to have some disturbances and everything. Christopher, the director, goes ahead and tells Dave, you know, that a servant uh, had hung herself during the Jamel period you know they don't know a whole lot of the background there that during george washington's period that soldiers died there that it was used as a hospital and that soldiers were in and out and then he talks about how stephen jamel died he talks about how there was a carriage accident and he was impaled by a pitchfork 
And he uses the word, oh, it was rather gruesome. Really? Really, it was gruesome? Yeah, I would say being impaled by a pitchfork, yeah, is a little gruesome. But immediately the thought, boom, flashes in my head. Well, I thought Gabe said that Eliza might have killed him. Did she stick a pitchfork in him? So I'm going, you know, wandering down this path, and I have to pull myself back to reality and say, no, 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 I I need to listen to what Christopher, the, you know, the director of the museum, actually has to say. And he goes on to say that the reason why people believe that Eliza killed Stephen is the fact that after he was impelled by a pitchfork, that she kind of dismissed servants and the doctor kind of told him to go away. And then she untied all of Stephen's bandages that the doctor had put on and basically just led him to bleed out. And that's how he died. Well, I'm telling you, I don't blame Steve for hanging out at the mansion. You know, if I was Steven, I'd be hanging out at the mansion too when good old Hans comes rolling up because I'm pissed off that my wife has uh, basically let me bleed out and killed me when I maybe could have made it. And Hans tells him, you know, to go on over to the other side. And he's like, no problem. Glad to be out of here. And if Hans says, well, take your wife with you. Yeah, I'm not trying real hard at that. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell Hans, uh, yeah, catch you later. And Eliza can just stay. And so, I bet old Stephen, he didn't try to get Eliza to go on and go with him, you know, too much. But anyway, um, the director states that the atmosphere can feel kind of heavy there, and that all the staff around kind of have their own stories. He says that he has saw a lady, and he can't say that it was Eliza, but they were in, you know, the Jamel period dress out of the corner of his eye. And then when he turns his head, there's no one there. And he makes it absolutely clear, you know, I'm not saying this is Eliza. I'm just saying that I saw what I think might have been a woman in period dress and then when I, you know, turned my head to really look and explore, no one was there. So then Dave introduces himself to Angela, who's a patron of the museum. She says that she's been there, you know, several times. I couldn't find any information on Angela, but she goes what appears to be in the basement. Um, where she heard a growl, and she says it was up around her face. She then describes it as being kind of near her ear, and her hearing a growl, and then something pushed her in the back. Says that it felt like something was guarding something, that 
she doesn't know what it was. She doesn't know what it was guarding or anything. She doesn't really expand. And I was really expecting Dave, after the countless interviews that he has conducted on Beyond Darkness and Coast to Coast Radio and just different areas that Dave Schrader has been a party to. Um, I was expecting him to kind of follow up with her, ask her a little bit more detailed questions, try to get something out of her. Again, maybe Dave did. Um, Maybe he had a three-hour-long interview with her, and it was just cut down to that short period of time. We're we're not real sure. Um, So... Dave, I'm I'm not saying you're a bad interviewer. I'm just saying uh, they maybe didn't show some stuff. Well, then Dave goes and um, interviews Vincent Carbone, which um, underneath it says he is employed by the museum. Well, let's let's stop right there, okay? Because I read a CBS News article. Um, where Vincent Carbone was interviewed by CBS News. Um, He was described by them as a paranormal investigator and that he gave tours also. Now, let me repeat that. In Holzer Files... He is introduced as Vincent Carbone, an employee of the museum. But in the article I found by CBS News, he is introduced as a paranormal investigator. He's interviewed extensively throughout CBS's news' article. And then it later in the article says he gives tours also, now it doesn't say whether it's museum tours, whether it's paranormal tours, what tours exactly it is, but all through that CBS News article, Vincent Carbone talks about Aaron Burr's room constantly being haunted. I found it a little weird that he doesn't mention Aaron Burr not once in the interview with Dave. But with CBS News, that's all he could talk about. So I'm just kind of pointing that out. Not saying that it means anything. But, you know, it does make me wonder, you know, again, did they go into this with, we're going to shoot this as... Um, an Eliza episode and kind of veer towards the dark or did Vincent lead him there and what kind of went down there um, and then Vincent talks about in Holzer Files he talks about finding pieces of candy under a tree from people that are coming in to practice Santeria 
And Dave asks if that's uh, Afro-Caribbean religion, and Vincent says yes, that there's footage of cameras from people across the street um, where people are coming in, they're dressed in all white, and they're trying to basically bless the house. That the people in the area believe it's a dark and evil place, and that it basically needs to be blessed. Uh, Vincent then goes on after Dave prompts him and asks if anything's ever happened to him. He said, yeah, that he was downstairs in the basement, that they were at a three-sided table, and that the, the table jumped, and they saw the lights flickering and everything. Well, in the CBS article, the CBS News article that I read about good old Vincent, it um, doesn't go into any of that. Doesn't talk about Santeria. Doesn't talk about the neighbors or the neighborhood. He doesn't talk about the table jumping. He, a matter of fact, says that other people have seen, other people have experienced. And he doesn't really talk too much about himself. However, while he's down in the basement with... Uh, Dave and Dave is interviewing him the lights do start flickering and then they turn off Dave asks you know do you guys have any electrical issues that are known and Vincent says um no no we we're, cl we're all clear there well again going back to 2019 which is when they shot this um the TripAdvisor reviews talk about how like i said it was getting old it's getting run down they're not taking care of it i really wish dave and his crew would have brought in an electrician to see if there's any electrical issues is that light flickering on and off because it needs a bulb changer because a wire is misplaced? That's one thing I do like about ghost hunters is they, they do try to get to the bottom of things and what's going on. Now, Dave immediately on Holter Files jumps to asking questions like, are you mad we're here? Well, the lights flicker. And he says, if you want us to leave, then turn the lights completely off don't let them flicker well the lights go out and dave's like mm, yeah that's enough answer for me i'm out so um that that's interesting to me i uh really kind of get into that i'm i'm pretty you know, psyched that Dave got, you know, intelligent responses and that he listened to them when they said, hey, leave. Dave does, again, what he did in episode one. He talks to Alexandria through the computer. I'm not sure whether it's Skype or they're using some other kind of computer program. And he says that the baseline info is lining up with what her dad experienced back in 1964 when he came, but that it seems more aggressive. Um, and she says that her dad, Hans, believed that the energy 
could have shifted in the environment that when he helped Stephen leave that it could have created almost like um, a hole or you know a shift and something could have moved in to feel that imbalance and she talks about how there may have been some kind of energy shift and so I get to thinking about that as they go to commercial and I'm like yeah yeah that makes sense I'm I'm skeptical but you know I'm logical and it it does make sense that if something leaves that something can replace it or something can fill that void that you know that makes that makes sense um, not sure where they're going to go with this, but it does um, make sense to me. So I'm kind of following along. Now, when they come back um, again, I have to yell at Holter Faust. Please don't do this in se- the second season because this is the second episode I've watched that after they've moved past that they continue with the seance recordings. And I think it's because Ethel Meyer sounds so freaking scary. Um, I don't really get it. Um, You know, they've moved past Stephen. They, but yet they, they show when they come back from commercial, you know, the audio file of Ethel channeling Stephen and then channeling, um, Eliza and saying, you know, she doesn't want to leave and all that. Well, I don't really need the sensationalism and the scariness to draw me in. And I don't think other viewers, I think people who are watching this are literally intrigued and entertained by this show. And so don't go that extra mile. You don't have to play audio of Ethel in her scary voice, you know, describing things. So I'm just glad that they they get to the investigation part. Um, they timestamp this as 1.25 a.m. I find it a little weird that they're going, you know, they're starting at 1.25. Um, you know, they started the previous night, you know, around midnight. Do they wait to midnight to go in? Um, have they been in there since 8 o'clock and nothing's happened? I wish they kind of would explain some things. So we see Shane and Dave going down stairs to the basement where Dave and Vincent had been earlier. And so Shane says that he's setting up a mail meter and it has REM, REM functioning under the lights that were flickering. Um, And he kind of explains that it should pick up any electromagnetic, or excuse me, electromagnetic field disturbances and go off if there's anything going on. Now this is what I like about Holter Files. They show what everyone is doing at that particular time. They kind of go 
around in a circle and they make sure that they cover things. I wish other TV shows would do that. Um, I like knowing where everybody is, at what time they're where. I like knowing that some things are going on at the same time and you can kind of put things together. So that is one thing that I do find really entertaining about this show. So they show Sydney. Upstairs, uh, they've set up a different base camp upstairs, and she's going to do automatic writing. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I don't really understand automatic writing. Uh, if anybody out there uh, knows exactly what it is, or they can do it, or they've experienced it, or they've seen it done, feel free, holler at me. Like I said, it's paranormal review pod singular at gmail.com, or tweet me, or something like that, because let me know a little bit about what is going on, and, and what you think about this. I probably need to do an episode about automatic writing, if I'm going to continue to review the show, so that I can fully understand understand you know exactly what Cindy is is kind of doing but um they put the mail meter down they flash back to Dave and and Shane and they get an immediate hit so Dave starts asking a lot of questions they don't get any answers but then they flash to Cindy and she's getting a feeling and she immediately pick, picks up the walkie-talkie, hits Dave up and says, you know, Eliza is saying, don't go into Eliza's room. Uh, she doesn't want you in there. And so Dave kind of switches his questions. And he starts getting answers when he asks if someone in the basement is afraid of someone else in the mansion and then he asks is that someone upstairs in eliza's room well they show from a camera that they've put up in the corner of the room that there's four people in the room there's dave and shane and then there's two camera operators and then there's set cameras in the room and shane says he hasn't seen emf fluctuate like this and then that makes me question about shane shane have you not watched ghost adventures come on now get with your paranormal tv shane because ghost adventures Buddy, they make that EMF readers. They go up and down all the time. So you you got to watch Ghost Adventures. Um, I find it hard to believe that Shane has not seen this. But anyway, him and Dave decide they need to go upstairs. So, again, Cindy says, Hey, Eliza doesn't really want you going upstairs in her room. Um, she's wanting to stop you guys. So she may stop you guys if, you know, you go in there. So um, that leads me to immediately think, since in research, a lot of the articles mention that people find that Aaron Burr's room is haunted and Vincent Carbone who is 
already been seen in this TV show, said in an article with CBS News that Aaron Burr's room is haunted. Are they actually walking in Eliza's room that she shared with Aaron Burr? On the tours, do they call this the Aaron Burr room? Is that a different room that we don't see? I, I kind of want to know, know that. But anyway, getting back to it, um, Dave has an SLS camera, and it picks up a figure. And he says, um, were you brought in the place of Stephen Jamel? And they get a hit, and then Dave says, I don't think this figure that I'm getting on this LS, SLS cam is human because it starts growing, it's morphing, it appears to go up the walls, um, and then all of their equipment, boom, shuts down. And it even shuts down when they show Cindy up with the monitors at base camp. You know, she can't see really what's going on. And so, um, then their equipment comes back on and Dave says, hey, um, you know, Cindy, can you come up here? How about, you know... You come up and see what you can experience here. And of course, you know, she agrees about things. So let's kind of stop here for a minute. I am going to be very honest with you. I don't like SLS cameras. I want to see more research on them. So again, if you've got some research shoot it to me. If you know anything about it, tweet me, DM me, um, email me, something. Because everything I've ever read about SLS cameras is the fact that they're basically Xbox Live kinetic cameras and that they map on the nearest vertical surface and they don't stay stationary. Which would make sense to have this SLS figure moving or crawling, whatever you want to call it, up the wall. But I don't know. I don't know if me looking this up is the past and they have now have new SLS cameras that have fixed that, that they don't you know, do that anymore, that that was, you know, a first generation thing, and they fixed that, so if any of you guys can help me out, I sure would appreciate it, but until someone tells me different, I just feel like I don't really trust SLS, and I know that Ghost Adventures uses them, Ghost Hunters uses them, you know, Nick Groff uses them, uh, paranormal Lockdown. Uh, we saw them on Portals to Hell. I, I, I know all the shows use them. But I'm wondering if all the shows use them because you just pretty much automatically get a reading on them. Um, and a little figure pops up and on the nearest vertical surface. And if that is true, then you've pretty much got to throw them out. 
But anyway, back to the show. Um, Cindy goes in the room, and, you know, I like how she documents. She immediately says that she's doing an EVP session, um, and that Shane and Dave are in there. She sees Eliza looking from the door. And then Dave hears movement outside of the door. And uh, Cindy says, hey, that's Eliza. And then Dave hears what he thinks is a woman. And he leaves the room and goes out into another room. I wish that Cindy would have marked that and told us that because if they get any EVPs, obviously I want to know where people are, you know, who's talking, what's going on, and and all of that. But they go downstairs. I'm assuming they're on the main floor. This is where I get a little wiggly. Dave says, hey, we're getting some hits, so I think we need to split up. Shane, you go to the basement. S- S- uh, Cindy, where do you want to go? And she says, of course, I want to go back up to Eliza's room. Because that's where she's seen her. That's where she's heard her, you know. And Dave says, mm, I think I'll hang out here on the main floor. Well, I get a little squirrely here, Wiggly, um, because, remember, Dave's the one that has all the information. And maybe he's trying to stay neutral by staying on the main floor. To me, he's been hanging out too much. He knows that Cindy is going to choose Eliza's room. So he says, hey, Cindy, where do you want to go? And, of course, she says, Eliza's room. Well, that rules that out for Dave. And he doesn't give poor Shane a choice. He just says, uh, Shane, you're going to the basement. Um, and so it's almost like Zach Bagans saying, hmm, this is the scariest room. Aaron, you stay here. Instead of Zach doing it himself. So, Dave, if you're listening to this, quit sending Shane everywhere that's scary. You go down there and you do it to it. Um, But anyway, Shane says, you know, I'm having weird vibes. I don't really want to go to the basement. But anyway, they flash to uh, Cindy, who is doing automatic writing and EVP up in Eliza's room. Dave is doing EVP in the octagon room and um, Shane is downstairs with a flashlight and he's also doing EVP. So Shane asks if there's anyone here. So it immediately goes to uh, Cindy and she starts writing. So then Shane says, I'm starting to see shadows out of the corner of my eye. Dave feels a wall of coldness. Then 
Shane's starting to get creeped out, and he's hearing noises. So then we flash back to Dave using a temperature gauge and showing us how the wall and this mass of cold air is making it turn blue. So then it flashes to Cindy hearing many talking, many different things talking, and she says some wonder and some are at peace, never know when to stop. Cindy says she's not feeling Eliza anymore and that she feels very, very scared. It immediately flashes to Shane, who hears a noise and jets his butt out of there and starts yelling for Dave. Well, first of all, let's talk about this. They timestamp when they arrive. I wish they would have timestamped this. And each time they jump to a new person, I wish they would show a clock. Um, you know, I wish they would show Shane at 2.15 doing this. Um, Cindy at 2.15 doing this. Dave finds his cold wall at 2.30. You know, Shane hears a noise at 2.32. And you see what I mean? I wish they would timestamp all of this. So we know how fast is all of this happening. And then let me take up for my buddy Shane, because I've already said I feel like Shane is me. But I would have Shaned way faster than Shane did. Well, I'm telling you, Shane, I am standing up for you. If you need somebody to talk to Dave Schrader for you, I am your girl. Hit me up, because I'm telling you, the first time I saw shadows and heard a noise, my butt is jumping that bench, and I am upstairs beside Dave before he can get his temperature gauge. Before, it, you know, he's going to be talking to the cameraman about this cold mass, and I'm going to be running into it, because I am a there. I have already told you guys, I am a big, big chicken. And so, Shane, I feel you. I do not blame you, not one bit, for booking out of there. You stayed way longer than I did, and I am giving you some serious prompts, dude. But anyway, um, back to the show. Um, Cindy says she doesn't believe anything that's coming from her writing right now. She feels like something is shape-shifting through her, and she doesn't like it, um, that she doesn't feel real comfortable. Well, Cindy, you know, like I said, you're a really fascinating chick, but this is where you're starting to scare me. Because I don't know a whole lot about automatic writing, and I am really weirded out that you don't want to do it because you're feeling stuff come through you and shapeshift in you and all of that. And girl, I do not blame you for being scared. You 
need to be booking it downstairs with Shane and telling Dave, oh, oh, no, 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 we are not playing this game anymore. But anyway, Dave's busy because we flash to Dave and Dave is trying to uh, pump my buddy Shane up and say, hey, we can't figure anything out in this investigation if you're running from it. Now, Shane, my man, this is where you need to flip Dave off and say, no, no, no. Dave, you go down there and you play around and you don't run from it. I am going to sit up here with the crew in base camp and hang out. But, you know, Shane doesn't do that. Um, Dave, like I said, is pumping Shane up and he says, you know, you've got this. So Shane goes back down in the basement. Shane, big props, dude. Big, big props. You are a way better person than me. You you have, you know, got some confidence or, or something. That's great. Uh, we flash back to Cindy, who asks Eliza, Hey, can you talk to me and tell me who is here? So... Uh, Cindy starts writing, and she starts getting tingles. She says that she feels like a medium has came in after Hans and did something to open the place up. And Shane, they flip to him, and he's hearing something in his earpiece. And uh, Cindy says she doesn't feel safe doing her writing anymore. It flips back to Shane, and Shane says, I am hearing things. He hollers up to Dave, and he says, Dave, are you talking to me in my earpiece? And Dave says, no, I do not even have my walkie-talkie. So... It shows you a split screen of uh, Cindy and Shane, and they both bug out at the same time, and Shane tells them, hey, I am hearing get out in my earpiece. I thought it was you, Dave, and so I got my butt out. Um... You know, Dave and Cindy go downstairs, and you can tell Shane reluctantly goes with them. And uh, Dave, after they get downstairs, decides to do what Hans did using Ethel, and he says, we need to do a seance. And he lays the recorder down. And I think, from what they show, that it looks like they basically do an EVP session. Did they do something more? Because, you know, it doesn't show it. Um, the next thing it shows is 
Dave's day four case log and he shows the SLS camera footage again where the figure's crawling up the wall. Um, he says that Shane heard through his earpiece a response, get out uh, it, with anger and they listen to it actually getting picked up uh, the recording of it, I think is pretty clear. I understood it, and I usually do not. And if you guys listen to this show regularly, you know that, you know, I I don't usually or make anything out of the EVPs. But I clearly heard, get out. I, I understand that. So then it jumps to Dave saying... Hey, I need to have this ending interview with the director. And he says, shows him the response to who are you? They get Alejo. And I can somewhat hear that. And Dave explains that when Cindy first walked in, she asked about spell work being done and said that she saw candles and feathers and wanted to know about rituals. And Dave later finds out from Benson that there's Santeria going on, that there are people dressed in all white, and they don't know what to make of Alejo. But when they look it up, um, it is a word for outsider. And then they show the EVP that Shane gets with, can you leave and come back? And I don't hear this one. Um, it, they say it says Egon, and that means ancestors in Santeria. And so he believes that the people that are outside by the tree doing Santeria, dressed in all white, that by them trying to protect themselves, that they brought something else in. That it is dark, it is negative, and it needs to go. And that they've got a priest of Santeria um, if the director wants him and this priest will come in and perform a ritual and hopefully get rid of the negative and that it, you know, it'll be removed, but they can't guarantee it. Well, if I am this director, I'm thinking, gee, I don't know about that. Where'd you get this priest? Because if the priest lives down the street, he might have been the one that brought it in. So, if I'm the director, I'm asking all kinds of questions. Of course, then it jumps to kind of a flash of what, you know, could be a ritual beating of drums, and they give us no updates. They basically end the show with Dave pocking the case away. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I know you're saving it for a follow-up show, but I want to know 
what happened? I want to know, is there still hauntings going on? Are they still feeling, you know, heavy atmosphere? Are they still seeing things? Are tables still jumping? Are lights flickering? What exactly is going on? And Holter Files is basically, mm, yeah, we're done. And they're kind of leaving it a mystery. Well, you know, I'm nosy, I'm curious, um, like I said, this show really does entertain me, it fascinates me, um, I think I've pointed out some different things, and so I really wanted to look things up. Well, if you go to the Morris uh, Jamel Mansion site, you can actually click a link and it will take you to Eventbrite and they have what is called ghost tours or paranormal tours there twice a month. Um, so obviously it still is haunted. Um, there is an advertisement that, you know, the museum does this. It says that they have been, um, in Haunted USA. They have been on the television show Inside Edition, that they've been on Ghost Adventures, that they've been on the Holzer Files, and that the Tennessee Wraith Chasers have been there. And that the paranormal tour, the ghost tour, is three hours long, and that freshments are included. Now, that is a big, big plus for $40. Um, and it says that the paranormal tours start at $40. When I clicked on it to see if the price raised or anything, I couldn't get a different price um, as of recording this, um, it doesn't seem like they go up in price or they have any extras or anything like that. It just says $40. Um, what makes me wonder with them putting out starts at $40, I'm wondering on, you know, certain dates or holidays or anything like that, if the price does raise or Halloween or something like that, price may raise. I looked... Like I said, as I'm recording this in January, I looked up um, a date in February and a date in March, and they were both $40. So I am going to make this, all of them are on Saturday night, and I'm just going to make the assumption as of right now at the time of this recording that it's three hours, $40, refreshments included, and there are still hauntings going on at the Morris Jamel Mansion. But, this is Paranormal Review. And even though I feel like, you know, Holter Files may not give us the whole story. I feel like they do a really good job. I think this is a good TV show. It is extremely entertaining. Um, it's interesting. It's exciting. You never know what they're going to uh, find, where they're going to go, where it's going to lead. Like I said, this is my second episode. I have been thinking, where is this going to go? Um in each episode and have never ended up in the place where I thought it would be. 
I am enjoying this, and I can't wait until I sit down and watch episode three. I I am excited. So, uh, I will see you guys soon. Uh, we will be taking on a new show. Uh, I won't be doing episode three next, but, um, you know, we might be hitting up Destination Fear or Ghost Nation or Ghost Adventures or something. Kindred Spirits is, you know, on TV right now, but uh, we'll be hitting up something, and I will talk to you soon. This is Paranormal Review.